Today on the ZabeCast, Surviving Las Vegas, my full recap for my 24th consecutive year of March Madness in Sin City. The bad beats, the disputes among buddies, the people watching, the golf, and more. All that, plus I will try to catch up on all the stories I missed while I was gone. So if you got a half an hour and can stand my voice, then buckle up and let's go! <laughs> Here we go! Monday, March 26th, 2018. Thank you for joining me and thank you for putting up with my less than pristine voice. Yes, 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 I trashed my voice in Vegas. I swear, I tried as hard as I could. I tried my best to manage my vocal cords. But it just, it it never works. Vegas is such a loud place. And I get so excited. And there is so much yelling all the time. There is jubilatory yelling at the blackjack table. There is jubilatory yelling on the golf course. There is jubilatory yelling watching the games. And there's just, you know, straight talking. If you're in a loud place, of which there are many loud places in Vegas, just talking, having a conversation becomes a bit of a thing. Now, I don't know why my friends don't seem to lose their voice like I do. Maybe it's because I have a trained professional broadcaster's voice. And so when I you know, drive it hard uh, for several days in a row, mine gets blown out. At least the high, 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 <laughs> the high register gets blown out of my voice first. Or maybe their voices are trashed like mine. They just don't have to actually go and be on the radio or record a podcast on a Monday. So either way, it's good to be back. It was another great time in Las Vegas, despite the fact that, yes, my voice is kind of trashed. And yeah, I lost playing the games. I lost betting on the basketball games. I had a terrible week uh, betting the games. I could not pick my nose, as the saying goes. I went one and three on the first day. I went two and four on the second day. On the third day, I went 0-1-1, and and then on the fourth day, I woke up and I flew my ass home without even putting any money on anything, even though, oh, you can mail your tickets in, or uh, I'll, I'll redeem them for you. No, no, I just at that point had no interest in betting on 19, 18, 20-year-old kids who, God bless them, are really good at basketball, but they're not as good as they think they are. At basketball, they miss layups, they miss free throws, they do dumb shit all the time when your money is on the line. I had no interest in betting the final day's games, so I just packed it up and got on a plane and went home. You could you could say that I pulled a, a Leonard Hamilton. <laughs> More, believe me, on that in just a minute. So I was terrible on the games. So that's what, 3-8-1? and one? Yes, three wins, eight losses, one push. I never did bet that $1,000. I know, I know, you're going to go, that's all you talked about, Mr. Big Time. You're going to bet a grand. When I was out there and I was looking at the games, I just didn't feel it. I didn't feel it. A number of our guys jumped on Kentucky, minus five against K-State. And that was, as you now know, a huge mistake. 
I went in only for $100 on Kentucky, and I still regret it because, God, is Kentucky garbage. Or they were, I don't want to say they are garbage. They were garbage because this team, like all Calipari teams, will get cracked apart and sent off to the NBA. Although I'm not sure how many guys from this team will go. Cohesively as a unit, they were so far from other Calipari one-and-done teams. It's not even close. They were a literal mess to watch play basketball. And when it came to free throws, oh my God. We sat there and said, I can't believe how bad this guy is at free throws. Miss, 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 clank, miss, clank, miss. It was hopeless. It was hopeless. So a lot of our, quite a few of our guys got the itch, got, got the burn, and got Kentucky fever. And so they went in. A couple of our guys went in for 500 I think one of my guys went in for $900 of what he claimed was, quote, found money because he did well in the early games on Thursday with some over-unders and first-half totals. He felt like, okay, I've got some money now. Let's roll it into Kentucky. And Kentucky shit the bed. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me let me start with this. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for listening, as always. Uh, it's going to be a somewhat short podcast today because I'm trying to get my voice back to where it is. Uh, it's just going to be me today, no guest, because I want to get through all the stuff from Vegas and let you know how it was. And then we'll be back more on a regular schedule starting tomorrow. Bottom line is, it was great. It was great. It was a great trip to Vegas, as it always is. And the crew that I go with is a great crew of guys. And it's becoming now an interesting, far-flung crew that comes from quite a few different places. I mean, there's, of course, the Milwaukee Mafia. The, the buddies I know, the golf buddies I know from my stint on Bob and Brian for 24 years up there in Milwaukee. Uh, of course, I'm coming from D.C. I dragged in Mr. X this year. Mr. X was like, he, he wasn't going to come because he had a tree, a giant tree, fall on two of his cars and part of his house. And because of the way insurance with gaps and replacement coverage and everything else, he was already out a couple of grand. And he was saying, I, I don't think I can go. I've got, you know got stuff I got to deal with at home. And I said, oh, no, no, it's a perfect time to go. Come on. We'll make that money up in Vegas. So Mr. X booked himself on a flight, uh, which happened to be my flight, which I got out of town early because of the stupid snowstorm, which was uh, apparently a little bit of snow, four or five wet inches. It was gone by the time I got home. But I got out early. Get uh, Mr. X is on my flight. So there you go. He got me, Mr. X from D.C., Got my man Charlie Mannix, the international man of mystery from Indianapolis. Great dude. He came out uh, yet again. He makes many trips to Vegas because his wife is apparently a big slots player. More on slot machines in a second, too. Houston, my man Scott Shirey came in from Houston to help fill in the gaps of our golf foursomes uh, because of another guy that could only play one of the three rounds. Of course, K-Dub from Phoenix came on up. Easy flight for him. He goes to Vegas quite a bit, but made time to come and hang out with us, and I appreciate that, appreciate that very much. And it was great. It was great. Now, the one thing that you come to realize about going to Vegas with a group of guys is that you quickly realize you are not living in a movie. You are not going to recreate the movie The Hangover. You're not going to have the fun, the the whole wolf pack thing. Eh, you know what? 
you have to quickly realize when you're going to Vegas with buddies that you know there's going to be guys that want to do different things at different times. And so you cannot force Wolfpack activity all the time. Some guys will be like, hey, I really want to go walk a long-ass way through several tunnels to go to the Aria to get a slice of pizza. I got to have that pizza. A couple guys were like, yeah, let's do that right now. A couple other guys were like, nah, I'm kind of having fun gambling. I don't want to do that. Or I just ate a while back. Why do I want to do that? It's too far of a walk. So you're not going to do every single thing together as a group, even if it's a group as small as like four guys. Once you get to eight or 12 guys, no, forget it. And guys like to do different things. Some guys just like to gamble, 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 gamble. Other guys might like to go to a show or they might go like to go to a club. I wanted to go to one of the you know uh, nightclubs where the young, pretty people spend their rent money on bottle service, as Katy Perry likes to say, and just hang out uh, as an old dude in this environment and just go, wow, look at this club. Listen to how ear-splitting that music is. And my God, look at all these young, attractive people bouncing around on a Friday night. I like doing that. I tried to get some guys with me on that, and I got no takers. So I did not go by myself. That would have been creepy and weird and really lame, but I accepted it as the fact that, you know, your wolf pack is not going to do everything together. That said, I do wish some of our guys managed their their time a little differently or maybe a little bit better or managed their drinking a little bit better. I wish I wish that some of our guys had better bedtime targets. Now remember, we are playing golf on Thursday morning and Friday morning, and then again on Saturday morning at 7 a.m., 7 a.m., 7 a.m. I know, brutal. That's what we decided to do. We're like, look, we, we, we want to play golf when we're out here. We don't want to wait five hours behind multiple foursomes if we tee off midday. We've got games to watch at 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock. So the plan has always been play golf, crack a dawn, no matter if you got two hours of sleep or zero hours of sleep, and then we'll get home uh, back to our hotels uh, at about noon, and you got two, three hours to nap, and you're good to go. But some of our guys were shutting it down very early, uh, like midnight or even before midnight, mainly because they didn't take a nap during the day, which I did, and they just got back from golf and then went out and got something to eat and started drinking and walking around and drink, 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 drink. And so by the time 11 o'clock came around, they're like, shit, you know, they need to go to bed. Eh, I kind of wish they would manage that bedtime better. Like, especially on the final night, <clears throat> one of our guys, I won't say who it is, Gitter, because um, he's a really good friend of mine, Gitter, and I don't want to out him on this Zabecast because he listens, Gitter. But he shut it down at 10 45 p.m. on our last night in Vegas with a 3.40 p.m. flight home on Sunday. Yeah, unacceptable. That is a Leonard Hamilton right there. (laughs) I only wish I could do an interview with him like Dana Jacobson and have this guy who I won't name get her uh, say to me, do you really think this trip came down to the last night like Leonard Hamilton said to Dana Jacobson, do you really think the game came down to the last few seconds? To which I would answer, yes, the trip comes down to the last fucking night. 
Your flight's not until 340. Let's stay out. Come on. But anyway, everyone does their own thing. I guess you just have to kind of accept that. So let's start uh, with that Leonard Hamilton, Florida State, Michigan game. And wow, wow, wow. Of course, I had Michigan minus the four. Even though when I, you know, I did not bet. Here's what happened. I, I went down after golf on Friday. Was it Friday? No, it was Saturday. Went down to the sports book on Saturday, and I bet the early game, which was K-State Loyola. More on that in a second. And I didn't bet at the time Michigan versus Florida State because I thought, you know what? I'll be awake by then. I'll be at the book by then. I want to see what I do with the first game, win or lose. And I might want to bet an under or a total or a side or, or, or something else or a halftime side, whatever. So I didn't bet the Michigan game. By the time I realized, oh, shoot, I might want to bet on that game, I just gave money to my roommate, BT, and I said, go bet Michigan for me. He said, fine, got it. I kind of thought I was getting Michigan minus three and a half because I believe that's where the line was at one point. It got to four. Some say it got to five, including Mr. X, who claims he had Florida State plus five. I'd like to see the ticket on that, but whatever. Might well have gone to five. But I got it at four with my man Brian, and he bought the ticket. So I didn't realize it was four until very late in that game, and we were downtown at that point at, at the D gambling or at the Four Queens, I think it was, and the game was coming down to it, and we're looking pretty good. (laughs) Brian comes up to me as I'm playing blackjack, and he starts singing the Michigan song, Hail to the victors. And I go, whoa, 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 whoa. This was when the lead was like nine with a minute and change to go. And I instantly chided him. I go, Brian, what are you doing, man? You're fucking jinxing it. He's like, ah, come on, man. This one's in the bag. Sure enough, Florida State hits a three. Florida State gets fouled on a three and hits ding, 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 three free throws. And you're like, I can't, I can't believe this is happening. Except I do believe it's happening because I've been to Vegas 24 straight years in March betting on these games. Of course, this is happening. And then, of course, the game comes down to it where you're like, okay, I think we got a shot here. Come on, Michigan, Michigan, defend. We got a miss three by Florida, or miss three by Florida State foul, free throws that'll push the spread over four. Then one last desperation three that clanks off the rim. We're golden. At least that's what we thought. So Florida State throws up the miss three. Michigan gets the rebound. Duncan Robinson, a 90% shooter. And then Florida State goes limp. They tap out. They absolutely tap out. It was so stunning. I had actually walked away from the blackjack table because I was too wrapped up in the game outcome. I didn't want to be sitting at the blackjack table with one, you know, looking over my shoulder like, what's going on? And then misplaying my cards. So I stepped away from the table. I saw that happen. I saw, and of course, (laughs) Michigan could have gone in for an uncontested layup to push the game in a different direction, but they chose not to. And Florida State chose not to foul. I watched the end of the game. I 
I had my arms in the air in disbelief. I then walk over from the TV I was watching nearby downtown at uh, the Four Queens, and I go to their blackjack table where all my guys were, and I'm and I'm literally like Larry David in that episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, saying, "What the fuck? What the fuck was that? You know? What the f? What the f? It was an accident. I, I was just stretching my legs out, and he, and he. What the fuck? Why? What are you doing? And. It was just classic March Madness gambling, bad beat, although as a push, I'll be honest. I said, I'm glad to get the 100 bucks back. Of course, you're always glad. Sometimes a push, when it looks for sure like you were going to lose, it is one of the best feelings in the world. Like, okay, at least I'll get my money back. But screw you, Leonard Hamilton. Screw you, Florida State. That was an unbelievably weak tap out. Ten seconds and change. You're down four. Yes, Patrick Robinson is a night or Duncan Robinson is a ninety percent free throw shooter on the season. Guess what? I once had a thousand on Michigan with a ninety percent shooter at the line. His name was Nick Stauskas. Guess what? He missed one. Cost me money. Didn't cost Michigan the game, but still, cost me money. Anything can happen. So of course, immediately I tweeted out. Terrible tap out. That's ridiculous. What's Florida State thinking? And believe it or not, I got some smart asses who think they're the most genius clock managers in the world saying, oh, yeah, well, what's going to happen? Yeah, 90% free throw shooter. Go the length of the court. Make a three. Make another two. All in 10 seconds, huh? They were kind of defending the tap out. And I then had to send another tweet going, look, don't at me on this. The fact that this was something I've never seen before and most other people I've never seen before. Four-point game, you got 10 seconds left, and you don't foul intentionally. Never seen that before. The fact that everyone else is saying, I can't believe what I just saw, don't at me on this. Don't at me about, well, it, it was the right call. The game was over. So anyway, that goes down, and uh, we're just, you know, we're just gobsmacked by it, and we go off and gamble and whatever. It wasn't until later that night. It was about midnight, and me and Brian were out at the this place called Holstein's in the Cosmo, which is fantastic grub place upstairs. It's got milkshakes and burgers. In other words, the meat from the cow and the milk from the cow. And of course I had at midnight a delicious, succulent $25 Kobe beef hamburger cheeseburger with cheeseburger plain ketchup only fries and then of course i followed it with a cookies and cream milkshake which had a giant cookie ice cream sandwich on top of the milkshake yeah you don't go to vegas to lose weight at midnight oh it's glorious so we're there eating and we're, we're just enjoying being in Vegas despite all the bad beats and whatnot. And we look up at the TV and we see, without the sound, mind you, without the sound, we see Leonard Hamilton and Dana Jacobson. And let me tell you, as we watched that, with no sound whatsoever, not even closed captioning, just by the look on Leonard, Leonard Hamilton's face, we were like, oh, shit, this is not good. <laughs> that whatever he is saying... It is not good. He had that look of, man, what the fuck, woman? Don't ask me about that end of game. What the, who the hell are you? 
It was such utter disdain. And then, of course, I ended up hearing the audio. I, you know, once I woke up in the morning, I you know, flipped on Twitter, uh, scrolled. It was there. It was all over my timeline, and I got to listen to it. It was a, it was a terrible look. Terrible look by Leonard Hamilton. Dismissive, cocky, sexist, delusional. Not a good look. Of course, for years, people have said that Leonard Hamilton is a very overrated coach. I don't know. He's been in Florida State a long time now. He did take this team right to the brink of the Final Four. Is he the best tactical in-game coach? Eh, Probably not. This episode certainly confirms that. He failed as a Wizards coach, but I won't hold that against him because guess what? A lot of people failed as, as a Wizards coach. But man, what a dick. What a total dick he was to Dana Jacobson. And good for Dana for sticking to her ground and being professional and polite and persistent and simply asking the question, you know, why didn't you foul? Now, it's nothing to make a federal case over, so let's not get too carried away. This will all wash down the river in short order. But still, it was one of those things where you go, wow, look at that. Of course, people quickly reminded me, uh, like my friend Dennis Dodd, CBS Sports, of the Texas A&N comeback against University of Northern Illinois, uh, UNI, yes, purple uniforms. It was like 12 points with 34 seconds to go. People reminded me about the Virginia versus Louisville game, and they scored five points in like .9 seconds or something like that. So yes, you foul. You foul. The irony is, irony or just my thought on this, had Florida State fouled, I bet, I would have bet anything, that I and everyone else that had Michigan minus four would have been totally fucked. Here's why. Because I bet I bet Robinson would have missed one to make it five. And I bet then with 10 seconds left, Michigan would have let Florida State race down the court and shoot and make an uncontested layup. I've seen that happen a billion times. So now the lead is three with about four seconds to go. The inbound, and they would shoot free throws again. Maybe they would make, maybe they would miss. I just had a feeling that if they had sent them to the line, it was going to lead to an uncontested layup that broke the spread late in the game. This was probably the best outcome that I could have had. So that was a push. I had Kansas minus four and a half against Clemson. They threw that game away from a spread perspective. Of course, they won the game. But that was a painful throwaway of a game. Luckily, I didn't have a whole lot of money on them. Now, during the game, as Kansas is destroying Clemson, all of us were looking around going, why didn't we go back to the well with Clemson? Or why didn't we go back to the well with Kansas? We made a grand on Kansas last year. They're killing Clemson. Why don't we go back? To, why didn't we just do that, go back to the well against Kansas? Uh, anyone who bet them, small amounts. And as that game unraveled and they threw that one away, I said, boy, oh boy, can you imagine if we all had a grand on that game and that's how it ended? And that's just how Vegas goes. Two of my pathetic three wins were on first half over-unders that hit by literally a half a point. Two of my three wins all weekend betting on these games were on lucky win by a half, halftime wagers. Well, you just suck, Zabe. You admitted you didn't watch very much college basketball this year. you got to watch more basketball. I know. I know. I do. Had I watched more of Loyola, I would have realized, oh, fuck, they are good. 
And here's the thing about watching college basketball. Here's the here's the thing about watching anything. When you're just watching a game, and if you don't have no money on it, you're not really as into the game as you are once you have money on the game. When you have any amount of money on a game, you are in the game. You are literally there in the game playing every possession alongside with the team and questioning everything. It's actually a very good way gambling, if you can make sure it doesn't become a problem in your life, to know who's good and who's not good. Because I bet K-State, minus the one and a half, whatever it was, I think they were slight favorites, I bet K-State in part because I have a good friend from college uh, who is married to a professor at K-State, and she is a big basketball fan. And I just said, you know what, I don't want to root against my friend, so let me go ahead and root, you know, pay, you know, let me bet Kansas State. And I think they got a chance to win. And I'm kind of done with the Sister Jean thing. More on that in a second. And so I had, you know, a, a decent amount of 100 bucks, I think it was, on K-State. I realized five minutes in with my first real focus lock-in look at Loyola, I realized five minutes in, oh, fuck. I got no shot. This 100 bucks is gone. Loyola is really, really good. Yeah, oh, they can easily beat Michigan. Can they win the national title? That That's, I doubt it. And they are, of course, the longest shot in the Final Four. I think they're plus 900 to win it all. But these guys, I mean, I'm not breaking any news to people who know college basketball. They're good. And the numbers back it up to prove it. I, I even read a piece that morning before I put my money through the window, which I should have said, wait a minute. I read a piece, I forget where it was, that broke down not just you know the basic numbers on Loyola, but some of the advanced metrics about you know efficiency and effective field goal per- percentage shooting and their shot dispersion. Pretty much Loyola gets all layups and threes, which is a pretty nice way to live if you can pull it off. The ball movement is spectacular, and just the competence of all their players to know what they do and how to do it and to work together as a team is great. I once I had gotten over the fact that I was going to flush a hundred bucks down the drain, having bet on K State, I enjoyed the shit out of watching Loyola play basketball. I'm going to be rooting hard for them. Now the only thing that keeps me from loving Loyola even more than I otherwise would is, believe it or not, the Sister Jean story. What do you got against her? I can't believe this. Listen, I got nothing against her. She's a nice, sweet, 98-year-old nun. But at the end of the day, she's an old woman who roots for a team. To quote the great Homer J. Simpson. Hey, how about that? Yeah. Hey. No, it's more than that, man. She's the team chaplain. Okay. Hey, how about that? Yes, it's a Catholic school. I got it. I got it. Got it. Sister Jean. The the sister genification of of everything. It's, of course, the media is what makes me kind of, you know, roll my eyes and say, enough of this already. Uh, You know, all the interviews, you know, after the game and everything else. Ugh, it's just too much. But good for Sister Jean, good for Loyola. And I'll be rooting for them. Although I kind of wish that the focus now, can we now just focus on the team? Does it have... Do we have to do any more on Sister Jean and her scouting reports and her sneakers and 
what she looked like the last time that Loyola won the national championship. There's photos of that. And there, uh, wait, hold on. What's that? Oh, no. No, we're going to get more of Sister Jean now that she's in the Final Four? Okay. That's what I figured. So, yeah, that was Loyola. I missed the Kansas-Duke game, which was an unbelievable game. I saw the highlights. Um, I did not see the review. The review that took three minutes plus, I believe, was a classic case of normally referees call out of bounds on the guy who caused the ball to go out of bounds, not necessarily the person who last touched the basketball. Now with replay in the late stages of games, they're going to basically change how basketball has been called ever since Dr. Naismith nailed peach baskets up to the wall at the YMCA in Massachusetts. It's fucking ridiculous. I hate it. It's it's so exasperating to see. Even if it took just one second to change that call, I don't like the way that's applied. I don't. I believe that I, I like classic basketball refereeing. You caused it to go out, so therefore you're not going to get the benefit of the doubt that you know player A's fingertip nicked it as you punched it out of bounds. And now it's not just, you know, even if it took one second to do those kind of calls, which it doesn't, it's now grinding the game to a halt for three minutes. Three interminable minutes for what? Oh, well, we got to get it right. And then two seconds later, after the review is over and they inbound the ball, somebody's going to commit a foul. And you know what fouls are? The most subjective calls in all of sports. Foul, no foul in basketball has always been the source of arguments that never end. And so it drives me crazy that we spend all this time trying to get one tiny little thing technically perfect. And then everything else in basketball is a big judgment call. So I missed the Duke-Kansas game, and I regret that. But I did have to fly home at some point. And overall, it was a great trip. Uh, Did I say that I lost money on the games? I did. I did win a decent amount elsewhere. I think of the seven or eight times I sat down to play blackjack, I believe that I walked away a winner five of those times. Now, my strategy at blackjack is simple. Always win. That's it. You know how Al Davis says, just win, baby? My strategy at blackjack is always win. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Sounds great, Zabe. What the hell does that mean? That means what it means. Always win. In other words, I'll sit down. I play fifteen dollars, ten, fifteen. I don't really play twenty-five. That makes me nervous. <laughs> I play fifteen, ten-dollar blackjack, and I'll I usually put a hundred dollars down. Boom, buy in for a hundred, and if I get up fifty, sixty bucks, oh, I will walk away. I will walk away after a half an hour because my strategy is repeat after me, kids, always. Win. Like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Always be winning. A, B, C. A, always B, B, C, closing. Always be closing. Always be closing. So, yeah, I don't mind getting up after being up just a little bit of money because I just want to win. And then I'll just walk around and maybe I'll play at a different casino or hang out or just watch people or watch my friends. If I'm going to win a bit of money, like you know, 50% more than my original stake, I'll get up. And then when I get down 
and if I'm battling, like, let's say I'm down to like 30 bucks out of my original 100 I will then set a target like, okay, if you get back to 50% down, you know, losing 50 bucks, then you should get up and then, you know, go fight another day, go find another table. This may be the worst way to gamble. I don't know. I'm sure you people will email me. You're doing it all wrong. Here's the way you should do it. Your buy-in should be this. Your table amount should be that. Your strategy this. Okay, that's fine. I'll, I'll listen. I'll, I'll, I'll consider it. My strategy is simply always win. Same thing to its slots, which are very underrated. Hit a $267 penny slot jackpot on the Anchorman slot machine which really wasn't a penny slot. I mean, it was, but I was betting 375 units per spin, which makes it a $3.75 slot machine. But I had a $260 ka-ching on that, which was sweet. And then I had another $160 jackpot on my way to bed one night. Literally, I said, okay, here's 20 bucks. Where's a slot machine that looks good? Boom. Sat down, put it in. 167 bucks. Slot machines are very underrated. Okay, dude bros. I know they seem like the the kind of thing that old ladies play. And yes, old ladies do play slots. And the hopelessly obese on their scooters play slots. And the disgusting and the wretched uh, play slots. But guess what? You should mix in a little bit of slots because you can actually hit decent jackpots. Another night I went to go play... Wheel of Fortune. Everyone loves the Wheel of Fortune slot machine, right? It's like the number one slot machine in slot machine history in terms of revenue. And there's a lot of variants of it now and rip-offs and knock-offs. But I went and sat down and played the classic Wheel of Fortune slot machine. First spin, bang, $18 on a $40 buy-in. Guess what? Print ticket. Always win. Another slot machine I played, 60 buck buy-in. And I uh, was down to like my last 10 spins, and I hit a $47 jackpot. So I think it was a one, 107, so I was plus 47 after my initial buy-in. Boop! Print ticket. Always win. That's my strategy. All right, a couple more things from Vegas real quick. Uh, State of the Monte Carlo. This was because we wanted to play this golf course called Shadow Creek, which you have to stay at an MGM property for. And so we did. Monte Carlo is now becoming the park. It's called MGM Park. Uh, It looks like it's closed for renovations. It's not. It's open. And we stayed there because the rate was pretty good. Uh, My man Mikey was able to go ahead and get that. And, eh, you know, aside from the fact that it was half drywalled, uh, we had a good spot to watch the games. Uh, And, by the way, I, I appreciate my friend Mikey, getting the rooms because he was very proactive. He was on top of this. He set up the tee times at Shadow Creek, which was great. So really, I'd, I had no problem with our accommodations other than the fact that they sucked. Uh, what? I'm serious. I had no problem with it. I appreciate Mike took the lead on that because I was slow in getting the accommodations put together. He stepped up and said, here, let's do this. Let's do that. Bing, bang, boom. I'll put my credit card down. You PayPal me money. And I'm like, great, done. I am not kidding. I appreciate all that. But I got to be honest, it sucked. The rooms at the Monte Carlo, which were all redone, have the most unique concept ever. The concept is you're going to hate this room, and therefore you're going to leave your room and go downstairs and spend money in our gift shops, spend money at our restaurants, and spend money gambling. 
I know, it's a crazy concept, right? But that's what they're going for, apparently. This room, which was not cheap, it was, I think on average for the four nights, like 175 plus resort fee and everything else. So it was about 200 bucks a night. Did not have the following amenities. A mini bar fridge or a dresser to put your clothes in. Dinging the bell a lot, I know. Yeah, I kid you not. Underneath the television, in front of the beds, where you would normally have a dresser, a credenza, or whatever you want to call it, with drawers to put your clothing in. All they had was a small ledge, about six inches wide, to put your wallet or your room key or a drink on. And then it had a plug underneath and some USB plug outlet so you could charge your phone. That's it. I'm like, where's the dresser? They had one small two-drawer dresser in the very small closet, and that was it. No mini bar fridge whatsoever. And apparently one of our guys asked the front desk, like, what's the deal with the room? And they're like, yeah, we want our guests to be enjoying the resort. And I'm like, Jesus. Whatever. It, terrible concept for a room. It made me declare, and, and my roommate Brian agreed with me on this, we are never, at least he and I, are never going to skimp on accommodations again. Because the Palazzo, where we used to stay uh, back in the Zave Vegas glory days, un believable rooms, suites, 700-foot suites with a sunken living room, gorgeous, everything. Now, their room rate, you know, their rack rate is like 270 a night, 280 a night, which was $100 more than what we were paying. But guess what? So what? It's $400 more. You're going to be in Vegas. You're going to be gambling. You're going to be losing money. You'll be losing several hundred bucks on dumb shit like Florida State not fouling. Or Kentucky not being able to hit the broad side of a barn with a free throw. Who cares? Splurge for better accommodations. So maybe when they finish the park at MGM Grand or whatever, MGM Park, whatever they're going to call it, the old Monte Carlo, maybe it'll be great altogether. Maybe they're going to put the dressers in next week. Maybe it was just temporary. I don't know. I don't know, but the room was bleh. So when we go next, we're definitely not going to skimp on accommodations. I am also going to make everybody declare their bedtime early. If they want to go to bed, first of all, nobody goes to bed before midnight, even on days that we play golf in the morning. And if you're going to declare, i got to go to bed at midnight because I need my beauty rest, okay, fine, but just let us know. Let's communicate that. And let's at least, if, if a couple people are going to go off do their own thing, fine. Just let us know. Don't just ghost on us. That's kind of weird. And we're also going to institute a no moping rule. So if you're hanging around and guys are gambling, you can't just stand, you know, 10 feet off to the side with your arms folded like this. That's moping. It's a huge casino. There's lots of things to do. Go do something. If we say, hey, I'm going to gamble here for another 30 minutes, another hour, don't stand behind us and mope. That brings down the room. And don't be a bitch if you lose either. We all get salty when we lose. Uh, no one's going to deny that. But you, you can't go over the top on that. And our guys were pretty good. Of course, you know, there was a few moments where um, <laughs> people were a little too salty. But you get too salty over losing and you go off the deep end, it brings down the room. My last thing, and I'll just wrap it up with this on Vegas. I don't know if I'm going to Vegas next 
spring for March Madness. There was a serious discussion amongst the boys that we're going to make this annual trip a fall trip during football season. Awesome! (laughs) Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Now, there's a lot of things that are kind of coming into focus on this, and it's making more and more sense. The first thing that is a huge dagger to our group and what we have done in springtime every year is that apparently Bally High Golf Course, that's as good as gone. That is dead course walking. Bally High, which is at the end of the strip, just you know, past Mandalay Bay, is prime parking lot real estate for the Raiders' new football stadium. I thought we dodged a bullet because Bally High was going to be a possible site to put the stadium, but they moved it to a different parcel of land uh, just across the highway from Bally High. But guess what? They need parking. And there is nothing, there's no other real estate that is as good as this golf course. Further complicating things is this. Just recently, the state uh, changed the, the, the rent for Bally High Golf Course because they, you know, the owner of Bally High is this guy, Billy Walters. He's now in federal prison for insider trading for five years. And he leased that land in 1999 to build Bally High, like a 99-year lease. Doesn't own the dirt, but he's leasing it. The lease agreement was such that they would, he would give like 40% of profits for his annual rent uh, for the lease of the land. Well, guess what? Up until 2011, Billy Walters and Bally High hadn't paid a cent because they hadn't made any money. They lost money every year, which is not unheard of in the golf business. So they changed it to say, well, you now owe us a flat $100,000 a year in rent, and we want $75 million because your lease is 99 years and you owe us back rent, and it's a big mess. So you got Billy Walters in jail. The golf course is not making money. The Raiders want that land for parking. That golf course is going. And it breaks my heart because I love it and we love it. And it's perfect. It's right at the end of the strip. We get a good rate on it. We played for 150 bucks, uh, which is a great rate for a course of that quality. And we played at 7 a.m. And they like us there. And they know us there. And they've had us there a number of years. But it's going away. So that's the first thing that said, well, this is going to change everything. What are we going to do? Are we going to play golf when we come out here? Because every other golf course, it's a 30-minute drive. And it's an expense of rental car and or Uber and or taxi. And so once we started thinking about, well, maybe we don't play golf. Then we started thinking, well, if we're not going to play golf, why don't we come in the fall? Because we could come in the fall for a football weekend, and the footprint would be a lot lighter. The footprint would be leave Friday, play golf, you know, leave Friday morning, get there you know, Friday mid-morning, play golf Friday afternoon. Saturday, wake up, bet on a bunch of college football games, go play golf again while the bulk of the games on Saturday are going on during the day, and then get off the golf course, keeping an eye on our phone, see who's winning and whatnot, and still have plenty of time to bet lots and lots and lots of more college football on Saturday night. Sunday, so that's two rounds of golf, Friday and Saturday. And then Sunday, we just wake up and watch the NFL and be inside and gamble and everything else. And we fly home either super late Monday night or super late Sunday night or early Monday. It would be, and by the way, the weather in October, I've been told, is incredible. It's warm. That's the other thing about this trip. We are right on the edge of the weather not being that good. You know, 60, and it was very cold when we played on 
you know, two of the mornings. Very, very cold. So we're talking about not great weather. We're talking about having to be there for a longer amount of time because the games begin on Thursday. And with our favorite golf course now perhaps shutting down, eh, changes everything. And I know this, the other part that's difficult about this trip in the spring is we're flying right into the teeth of two things every year. One is Easter weekend, which is always a dicey situation. And the second one is spring break. For those of us who have kids, it's around spring break each time. And that gets to be a point of contention at home. So I don't know what's going to go on with that. I know this. If we do make it a fall trip, an October trip that's football only, we're not going to wait a year and a half. Oh, no. We're going to get that in this year. We're going to get the clock started on the new Zabe Vegas, a fall football trip starting in this October going forward. All right. I need to stop talking. Rest my voice. I'll leave you with this. Dateline. Sutherland, Oregon. Man attacks Golden Arches at Oregon McDonald's. Huh? Police say a 37-year-old man was far from loving it, says the Associated Press, when workers at McDonald's refused to make him 30 double cheeseburgers. What'd he do? He tried to destroy the Golden Arches. The report, uh, the according to the police report, they arrested one Jedediah Ezekiel Fulton. Yep, that's his name, Jedediah Ezekiel Fulton. They arrested him on suspicion of second-degree disorderly conduct, second-degree criminal trespass, and second-degree criminal mischief and harassment. Authorities said that he became upset when they said, we're not making you a third double cheeseburgers. He then destroyed a banner and started to attack the arches. I don't know what that means, attack the arches. Did he climb up the sign outside and begin to attack the arches? Did he throw things at it? Who knows? Uh, They say that the man also grabbed a person's shirt and that one witness, afraid for his life, pulled out a gun. Oh, good. It's not clear from online records if Fulton has an attorney. Oh, I don't know if he would have an attorney, but I guess at some point he's going to need one, even a public defender. Good job on that. I would assume if you paid for the cheeseburgers up front, they should make them for you, right? All right. That'll do it for me today. Thank you for listening to the ZabeCast. Apologies for the voice. Apologies it was a bit rambling. I just wanted to get a quick Vegas recap on the books. More to come as this week progresses, but thanks for indulging me. My vacations are now over for at least the time being, and I'll be back five days a week, including on the radio today on ESPN 980. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great Monday, and we will see you next time.